November 5th. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. This Melchizedek was king of the city of Salem, and also a priest of God Most High. When Abraham was returning home after winning a great battle against many kings, Melchizedek met him and blessed him. Then Abraham took a tenth of all he had won in the battle and gave it to Melchizedek. His name means King of Justice. He is also King of Peace, because Salem means peace. There is no record of his father or mother or any of his ancestors, no beginning or end to his life. He remains a priest forever, resembling the Son of God. Consider then how great this Melchizedek was. Even Abraham, the great patriarch of Israel, recognized how great Melchizedek was by giving him a tenth of what he had taken in battle. Now the priests, who are descendants of Levi, are commanded in the law of Moses to collect a tithe from all the people, even though they are their own relatives. But Melchizedek, who was not even related to Levi, collected a tenth from Abraham, and Melchizedek placed a blessing upon Abraham, the one who had already received the promises of God. And without question, the person who has the power to bless is always greater than the person who is blessed. In the case of Jewish priests, tithes are paid to men who will die. But Melchizedek is greater than they are, because we are told that he lives on. In addition, we might even say that Levi's descendants, the ones who collect the tithe, paid a tithe to Melchizedek through their ancestor Abraham. For although Levi wasn't born yet, the seed from which he came was in Abraham's loins when Melchizedek collected the tithe from him. And finally, if the priesthood of Levi could have achieved God's purposes, and it was that priesthood on which the law was based, why did God need to send a different priest from the line of Melchizedek instead of from the line of Levi and Aaron? And when the priesthood is changed, the law must also be changed to permit it. For the one we are talking about belongs to a different tribe, whose members do not serve at the altar. What I mean is, our Lord came from the tribe of Judah, and Moses never mentioned Judah in connection with the priesthood. The change in God's law is even more evident from the fact that a different priest, who is like Melchizedek, has now come. He became a priest, not by meeting the old requirement of belonging to the tribe of Levi, but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. And the psalmist pointed this out when he said of Christ, You are a priest forever in the line of Melchizedek. This week's Bible Meditation, Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And then in verse 8, if you go on to the next uh, verse, it says, I say this not as a command. Very important. He's not commanding the Corinthians to give now to, to the believers in Jerusalem. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others 
that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Okay, so first, let's just make sure this is clear. Um, because I, I hear comments like this. Uh, let me just say, you can hear straight from my mouth. I don't believe that you are required, you, you Christians in the room, I don't believe you are required to give a certain amount of your income. From my study of Scripture, as I look through this, especially when I look at the New Testament, I don't believe that uh, we're, we're required to give this 10%, and so those who give their 10% go, oh, good, I did it, and those who don't feel guilty all the time. Um, I don't believe that. I don't believe it's commanded, and I don't believe that, uh, that, that we're commanding you to give. Here's, here's what I do believe, because I hear people say, oh, Francis thinks we should all live in poverty and, and give to those who are in need. And I, you know what? I don't, I don't think you're required to do anything. What I'm saying is the same thing Paul is saying here is you have this awesome example in Jesus who was rich. Was he pretty well off? He's doing all right in heaven. And what he does is he became poor, made himself nothing so that we all in this room could be rich, right? I mean, why are you here today? Because someone left all of his riches, came down and gave you a pretty awesome life. We were singing up here. I'm a friend of God. And in and, and that, that saying, you know, who am I that you're mindful of me and that you love me? And I, I love Brig, first of all, and I, I just love his heart. Just going, gosh, I'm just overwhelmed by this love of God. That are you kidding me? I am a friend of God. I am a heir, a fellow heir of all of his riches. So he came down and he sacrificed and he made me rich. And so as followers of Christ, all I'm saying is that desire should be in us. That's all I'm saying. It's not a command. You've got to give. I'm just saying, gosh, doesn't it prove to you that the Holy Spirit really is in your life that you actually have the same desire of Christ? You go, wow, I saw what he did for me. I'd love to empty myself and help these other people. That it's the response of having given your life over to God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I think he says it real well. If we go to chapter 9, there's a couple of verses, verse 6 and 7. He says, the point is this. Here's, here's the real point of it. Whoever sows sparingly, that means whoever just gives a little bit, will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Okay, why is it that we stop passing the plate here? It's, it's largely because of a passage like this, where I didn't want anyone feeling guilty and going, oh, there's the plate, the guy next to me, I saw what he put in it. And uh, see, because that's under compulsion uh, or reluctant. Like, I really don't want to give this, but I'm going to look really stupid next to that guy or my friends or why. I just don't want any of that. Because what God is most concerned about is, is the heart. He loves a cheerful giver. So in your heart, it, what, what should happen is have this desire where you're like Jesus. You actually are like Jesus and thinking, man, I want to help other people. And I couldn't wait to get to church because I thought through what I was going to give. And I get to stick it in that box. It's, it's the, that's, that's all we want. 
The rest, there's no reward for that anyways. You want to do it out of love. You want to do it out of joy. And that's the point, is, is to believe not that, ooh, look at what a great person you are. You gave all that money. No, it's more, it's like, no, I'm just being a smart person because what the Bible says, the book that I trust says, if I give, I sow bountifully, I'm going to reap bountifully. That God's, God's going to bless me in this life and in the life to come. And if he gives me more, I get to give more. It's not this health wealth thing where, ooh, he'll give me more and then I can buy my mansion. It's like, wow, I get to be even more of a giver and more of a giver and more of a giver. It's the joy behind it. So understand that. And that's why Paul says this isn't about a command. It's not about you better do this or you can go to hell unless you give 10%. No, it's about you giving yourself to the Lord first and saying, I'd like to be like Jesus. I want to be a Christ Christian and become like him. And that was beautiful. He left his riches and made my life wonderful. I want to do the same thing for other people. So God changed my heart and make me a giver. And that's what this is about. Psalm 105, verses 37 through 45. Well, the previous psalm extols the Creator, while this one exalts the Redeemer and His providential care for His people. His people, of course, Israel. We'll read about His deeds in this psalm. When you read the history of Israel, you're encouraged by God's mighty and marvelous deeds. He did wonderful and awesome things, and they were wrought for His needy people. You want to praise Him, rejoice in Him, and seek Him and tell others about Him. We'll read about His covenant. God bound Himself by an oath to only one nation, Israel. And we'll read about His servants. God sent Joseph to Egypt to preserve Jacob's family so they could become a nation. God had a plan and a purpose in all of that. It's not just a nice Bible story. God was saving His people. He sent Moses to Egypt to deliver his people. He sent Aaron to assist Moses and serve as high priest for a sinful people. God always has a man or woman ready to send when a job must be done. He waits to hear you say, Here am I, Lord, send me. Psalm 105, verses 37 through 45. But he, the Lord, brought his people safely out of Egypt loaded with silver and gold. There were no sick or feeble people among them. Egypt was glad when they were gone, for the dread of them was great. The Lord spread out a cloud above them as a covering and gave them a great fire to light the darkness. They asked for meat, and He sent them quail. He gave them manna, bread from heaven. He opened a rock, and water gushed out to form a river through the dry and barren land. For he remembered his sacred promise to Abraham his servant. So he brought his people out of Egypt with joy, his chosen ones with rejoicing. He gave his people the lands of pagan nations, and they harvested crops that others had planted. All this happened so they would follow his principles and obey his laws. Praise the Lord. Proverbs 27, verse 3. A stone is heavy, and sand is weighty, but the resentment caused by a fool is heavier than both.